and welcome to this podcast from the Private Wealth Team at Safford Chapness. My name is Leonora Stevens, and I'm a partner in the Private Wealth Team based in Bristol. I'm delighted to be joined virtually by Mike Hodges, who's the Head of Private Wealth at Safaris. Mike is based in our Manchester office. Hello, Mike. Hi, Leo. Or as I've discovered, you prefer Leonora, so I should get more formal in future. Hello, <laughs> Leonora. Okay. Hello, Michael. Um, this is the third of our podcast series where Mike and I have been discussing passing assets down to the next generation. This podcast will cover the transfer of assets to trust as a means of passing assets to the next generation and how they can still be utilised. So why are we discussing this specific topic? Upon review of clients' assets when considering IHT and providing support to the next generations, some clients do not feel comfortable with making outright gifts to their children or grandchildren. This may be for a number of reasons, such as they're not yet ready to fully relinquish control over the assets, or they don't feel that the potential recipients are old enough, mature enough to hold the assets in their own name, or there is concern about the funds upon the future breakup of a relationship and the implications on the family wealth upon divorce. Mike, are you still seeing clients interested in setting up trusts? Absolutely, yes. They they are still, even though... There have been lots of changes over the last 15 years or so to trusts. People are still very much interested in them. It's, it's not the most obvious, so you do have to talk through the implications. But I've got one very live one at the moment. Uh, and that's probably the most common in, in, in my field where people own businesses, shares in a company and look at before a sale planning using a trust. But we'll come on to some of the detail of, of that. But very much alive and kicking, I would say. So just talk us through. Leo, what the key implications are of setting up a trust? Well, with sort of with any gift, broadly there are two strands to look at, look at mainly CGT and IHT. From a CGT perspective, giving an asset to a trust would be a disposal for CGT purposes. Um, for IHT, it, it wouldn't be a potentially exempt transfer, it would be a chargeable lifetime transfer. So you would pay 20% inheritance tax on the value that's in excess of your available mill rate band, which is £325,000. Um, so potentially, if you were to die within seven years of the gift, there could be another 20% tax to pay. I mean, there are various planning points to mitigate both of these tax taxes on transfer, which we'll cover in due course. Um, Mike, what, what do you find tends to be the common questions people are asking about setting up a trust? Uh, the, the most common questions are, what rate of tax is it going to pay? Um, can I be a trustee? Can I be a trustee and a beneficiary? And we'll come on to that. Normally, for these things to work, you're saying, well, yes, you can be a trustee, but you cannot be a beneficiary. Otherwise, that's that's likely to scupper what you're trying to do. How do the assets come back out again? Because people are always thinking, well, we're talking about the way in now. Um, and then the, the sort of common lifetime one, which is what happens on death or divorce. And, and the one you can't ignore, which is the practical one about, well, hang on, what are the costs going to be of keeping this going? Because you are creating a, a, another structure with tax returns and sometimes accounts, all those sorts of things. And what kind of questions do you find you get then, Leo? Well, um, one sort of popular question is is you know how does it compare to setting up a family investment company and you know mm -hmm. uh, do they go for the trust or the thick um i mean there there are a few key comparisons that um so for example with a trust you can set it up so you can have multiple beneficiaries without incurring a tax bill and when when you set it up and you you sort of get the tr the trustee drafted 
you can add in a clause where it will say it will include your issue and remoter issue within the class of beneficiaries. So that would include, say you've only got children now, it would include your grandchildren. But um, whereas if you've got a, a FIC, sort of the structuring of a FIC at the, at the beginning is really very important. And you can add shareholders in due course by giving some of your shares away. But the, the main focus of it is that there would then be tax implications of that, which is slightly trickier. It's not as clean as, as with a trust. Um, the rate of tax payable is, is a sort of key comparison. And you know, with a trust, um, they if it's a discretionary trust, they'll pay rates applicable to trust, which um, would be 45% uh, or, or sort of the high rate dividend, which is 38.1, going up by the 1.25% from April 22. Um, so that's quite high, but you can reclaim some of that tax when you make di- um, distributions out to beneficiaries who have got minimal income and they can reclaim some of that. Whereas with a FIC, it's subject to corporation tax on its profits, which at the moment is 19%, but going up to 25% from April 23. Mm-hmm. So that's how you, you, know, you, you would get cash out of the company by paying a dividend or a salary. So your effective rate of tax with a FIC can be quite high. I mean, with both options, there's quite high tax rates. But then sort of the other thing is, is tax on setup. So when you set up the trust, if you put a million pounds in, then you would be you would pay tax at 20% above your nil rate band. Whereas with a, a family investment company, a common example is where you know, is what you just discussed earlier, said earlier, is about someone's about to sell their business. So with a FIC, if someone's sold their business and has got a large amount of cash in their account, they, they can set up a FIC and draw down by loaning the money in and then draw down that loan tax-free, which can be quite efficient. So with you know the when it comes to tax on setup, the FIC is, seems more efficient than the, ta- the trust, but then there's you, you've got to weigh up the pros and cons of both. It really depends on the ultimate goal and sort of the control function that the parents want. Um, but have you got any other top tips when it comes to trusts? Well, I think just staying on that. FIC or trust point from for a moment that my most common conversations as, as I said earlier is someone who owns a controlling shareholding in a private company and a, a sale is coming along and I might well say well if that sale goes ahead and it's important that it, it hasn't been agreed and it's some way off do you need all of the proceeds because you're suddenly going to go from a situation where you've got an asset which is 100% business property relief which is great to cash which is is not and that's at a stroke when you sign that sale and purchase agreement so whilst the shares are still shares in your hands how many could you put into trust for future generations uh, and because there's business property relief then subject to, to some of the rules around that that can be very efficient but then the second stage assuming the sale goes through would then be for the trustees to think about possibly incorporating a FIC. So you could have the two running running together with the, the, the trust becoming one of the shareholders of, of the family investment company. So that's that's one. Again, there's no one size fits all that you need to think about, but um, one that I advise on fairly regularly. I guess the more everyday situation is the, the planning where if people have got some cash, they look to set up a, a trust in in their lifetimes and if you've got husband and wife you you've each got your 325,000 pound nil rate band so you can put 
double that, £650,000 into trust. And going back to the, the first of these three podcasts on gifting, we talked about the seven-year clock. You can do that every seven years uh, and a very efficient way of getting the money out of your estate on a regular basis if people start early enough. Um, and we've talked about surplus gifts out of income in, in the second of these, which, again, very powerful to meet trust expenses or even to, to, to fund a trust. Um, but BPR, business property relief for, for, for shares you own, or if you've got AIM shares or certain AIM shares that qualify, again, you could use those um, to, to, to set up your trust, get value into it with no inheritance tax and no capital gains tax. That's, that's the beauty of um, business property relief. It, the um, with respect to transferring shares into trust, sometimes where it's unclear with with respect to the business property relief, you can um, you know because for example, where there's certain levels of cash in there, when it's you know, the definition of trading, um, you can write a letter, non-statutory clearance letter to HMRC to request for them to confirm that the transfer would um, uh, would qualify for BPR purposes. And that's something that I've done quite a few times that actually just gives you a bit more comfort um, that you're, that what you're doing will get the relief and you're not going to be whacked with a 20% IHT bill. And they do engage with that, don't they, which is, which is helpful. Yeah, I mean, they're quite detailed letters. Um, and from our perspective, it's a detailed review, but that's, it's very interesting. Mm. Um, but I would say that because that's part of my job. Um, <laughs> anyway, I would add a, so another useful planning tip which relates to CGT is um, it is possible to claim CGT holdover on assets, i.e. so you defer the gain and the trust would inherit your base costs, where this is happens where, sort of where there is a transfer subject to IHT, i.e. you're making a transfer to a trust. So, for example, if you have a holiday house uh, or an investment portfolio, you could transfer the assets to the trust with no CGT to pay. So that's great from a CGT perspective, but as we said before, there's two strands, there's also the IHT perspective. So um, just check your available mill rate band and anything in excess of what's left would be subject to 20%. Um, and also with CGT holdover, do be careful because there are a couple of traps. Um, for example, you've got to make sure that, that um, you can't have an interest in the trust um, or your minor children. Um, so that's something to watch out for. But hopefully you've enjoyed this series of podcasts on transferring assets to the next generation. As previously mentioned, Mike and I could talk about this for a really, really long time. Um, so we haven't been able to cover everything in these podcasts, but please do get in touch if you'd like to discuss or explore any of the topics further. So thank you very much, Mike, again, for joining me today. Thank you. We, um, we work with a wide range of clients. Many are UK-based and many live overseas but have interests here, whether that's property, business interests or investments. We advise individuals and families on how best to safeguard, maintain and enhance their wealth and on the most appropriate methods of passing on that wealth to the next generation. We also help people comply with the tax rules in the UK, which can be complex. If you would like to find out more about Safri Chapmas and how we can help you, please head over to the Safri Chapmas website at www.safri.com. However, it's important for me to stress that if you are considering any of the topics discussed today, you must always take professional advice based on your individual circumstances. Thank you for listening.